Hey, I'm Greg. And I'm Nathaniel. Welcome to Only an Inkling, where we only talk about the Inklings. And we only have an inkling of what we're talking about. being bad today. I'm having a shoot. <laughs> I just spilled it everywhere. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have ever had that happen where you go to pour the, the soda and it like trickles back down the can away from the glass. Dang uh, it. <laughs> oh, well, I got this little napkin here. We'll be alright. It's all over my page. Oh, no. Oh, well, that shows good use to the book. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, it's well used. <laughs> I just turn the can sideways and it just goes along the can. <laughs> Alright. It's Zevia ginger ale. And I am being bad and having an actual Coca-Cola today. Bad boy. <laughs> yeah. It's not a not a sugar-free soda today. Oh man. It's <clears throat> dripped all over my shorts. I'm a mess right now. <laughs> oh well. This is, uh, this is how it's gonna go. Hey, we've got um, a chance at thunderstorms. Did you see them heading our yeah, way? So, I did. yeah, maybe maybe that'll happen uh, this evening. I think that'd be exciting. At least this evening when we're recording, that is. And by the way, uh, it's really good to be here with you, Nathaniel. It is. Uh, we have not recorded in a month. At least three weeks. Yeah. Yeah. So this would be the month week. This I think this recording, if we hadn't made this one, would have been four. Four weeks. Yeah, so we three weeks we haven't recorded. People aren't going to know. No. And, you know, it only takes us, what, maybe two recordings to make up for that, thankfully. Right. Because I was getting worried for a moment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Had all these weird things happen. I mean, goodness. But uh, it's really good to be back. I really miss this. I do, too. No, nobody else knows, but we know. That's right. And we miss it. They don't, and we do. Uh, chapter 10, eh? We're in yes. the 10th part of this letter. And let me just say that um, right off the bat, it seems to me... It seems to me that the theme of this letter, I think, is authenticity. Hmm. And the word authenticity <coughs> means holding to your own values, responsibilities, and attitudes while maintaining what others sense to be the true you. What do you think about that? I think that's a good summary of the theme of the chapter. I, I think for me, I gravitated more towards um, like outside influence or peer pressure. Or yeah. But that still goes back to authenticity. Like, mm -hmm. how authentic are you? Yeah. Under those pressures. Yeah, I suppose I, I really, I really saw myself in this chapter with those particular pressures, which yeah. we'll talk about here soon. Yeah. But um, I, I like this this description of authenticity because it's both your own values while you're trying to maintain how others perceive you. There's, mm. I mean, wouldn't you say there's like a there's a, ba a balancing act with others' perceptions of you. I mean, some of them are going to be right, some of them are going to be wrong. And then you have your own values that you want to hold to, and your own perceptions of yourself. Yeah. And um, 
if you show up to someone's house, for example, and they you're acting erratically in a way that isn't you, you're going to freak them out because you're no longer adhering to their perception of you. And so, in a sense, you do behave in a way that you know is acceptable to others. Right. And some, for the most part, that's probably appropriate. Right. But then other times we have this um, pressure to lose ourselves and do things or say things or behave in a way that we feel like isn't quite us. So, like, it's like a pendulum. You might swing right. too much into trying to be how other people perceive you. Or you might be so much yourself that you're disconnected from yeah. the, from other people and you freak them out. Yeah. So uh, that's I think there's there's something going on with that that has to do with this letter. Yeah, I think we want we want to be authentic people and not pretenders, but we also don't need it. I think there's a lot of people that take that to a level that's inappropriate. Like, mm. I'm just gonna say whatever and do whatever and. I, I get a kick out of offending you. You know, yeah. like, you know we don't want to be jerks, but no. we also we also don't want to be pretenders either. Yeah. <coughs> yeah, we also hear from a new character. Yes, he has a crazy name, too. It's <laughs> pretty funny. Yeah, yeah, he sounds asthmatic. <laughs> trip Tweez. Trip Tweez. <laughs> do, you, do you say the T in Tweez, or is it Tripped? Tripped Wheeze or Trip Tweez? I say Trip Tweez, but I don't know. That may not be right. Trip Trip Tweez, Trip Tripped. Wheeze. That's fun. I wonder. I wonder <laughs> what led him to come up with that name. Well, isn't there another one earlier on in the book? It's like Slub Glob or whatever. Slub Glob. Slub Glob. Yeah. Yeah. One of the. Yeah. He comes Slub up Glob. with the strangest names. Uh huh. <laughs> I remember seeing it in my uh, Spanish version. It it kind of has the word like uh, balloon in it. Um, so like representing someone who you would imagine is just like super obese and disgusting or something mm. like that so uh yeah well I, I think this definition is is really what people are after here in the united states as well although i think it's been hijacked by the pursuit of happiness you know i think a more idealistic goal for a human being in my mind is authenticity rather than um Happiness. The pursuit of happiness, yeah. although I think people should be and I happy. Think, I think that is, so we're kind of approaching this from a different mindset um, than I had been thinking about it My until bad. we got together. No, I'm, I'm, I think it'll be better. <laughs> but Okay, good. I think that, so like I think our parents' generation and older, there was a lot of the pursuit of happiness. And you still mm. see that. And it's still present today, for sure. Mm. But I also feel like there's an, a realization in millennials and younger of authenticity. What makes you say that about the generation before us? <clears throat> I just have heard more of the, like, whatever makes you happy. Do what makes you happy. I just want you to be happy mm-hmm. in the generations preceding us. And then younger, us and younger, I hear more people concerned with, I want to be myself. I want to be known as who I am. Like. It's not perfect, and there's plenty of flaws, and there's still this present, like, I still want to be happy and pursue that. But I do feel like there is an increased awareness in younger generations, a, a, a greater awareness and desire for authenticity. Mm. And, um, and like, I see through it, or I don't trust you because I don't think you're being authentic. Yeah, stuff maybe, like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, like, the 60s and <clears throat> 70s and, like, the big time hippie era do lots of drugs i mean you know sex drugs and rock and roll you would think that that is a total pleasure pursuit yeah you know and and why would you 
pursue pleasure if it wasn't a pursuit of happiness. Yeah. I suppose, but yeah, that's um, that's a good analysis there. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think uh, you know what we've talked about in previous episodes too about the intense amount of ethical we- concerns we see today in people that yeah. maybe other generations they've every generation experiences ethical moral concerns but yeah there's definitely an intensification of that in our generation yeah and I think. Part, part of that probably comes from the prevalence of social media mm-hmm. and access which didn't really I mean, our parents had some internet for part of their lifetime, but uh, it's definitely way more accessible now. Yeah. So, like, the knowledge of information is so... It's everywhere. Mm-hmm. There's so much known. Well, I'm just thinking that maybe that uh, those ethical... In- intense amount of ethical concerns is still linked to a pursuit of authenticity, right? If you want to know something is totally genuine and trustworthy... Well, it's going to take you to an ethical concern of like, sure. if I really want to adhere to some kind of value or walk a certain way, I want to make sure that it's, it's safe, it's got my best interest in mind, and things like that. I don't know. Yeah. Well, uh, although this, this concern has been hijacked by the pursuit of happiness, I think, um, can I just say that by being authentic, I'm not sure that you'll always find happiness. No. Um, but you will find a clear conscience yeah i think and if you've ever been put in a situation where you felt like an outcast but you had a clear conscience uh that that's kind of hard to beat Mm -hmm. i think because having a clear conscience is something like paul paul says that he relied on his conscience a clear conscience at one point yeah and that has always stood out to me because when you get into a situation where you feel like an outcast but you rely on a clear conscience, it is an awesome feeling. Like, the, you have no doubts or reservations about <coughs> the situation you're put in that you're going to be okay. Um, but that's that can be a, a tough road to walk down. And especially if you know that, like, no one likes you, <laughs> you know, that's a, that's a big one, yeah. uh, but at least you have, you know, no emotional tension about having split yourself into multiple personalities or yeah. having multiple Which we're going to talk standards. about later in the chapter. Of yeah. course. <laughs> yeah. And this brings me back to the, the prerequisites we talked about for sainthood, according to the Roman Catholic Church, uh, the idea of heroic virtues. You know, it's one thing to live virtuously, but to stick to your guns, as they say, in the face of, like, cultural opposition, that's really difficult. You know, the my favorite philosopher, and maybe we'll read some of his stuff, G.K. Chesterton, mm. he once said, you know, a dead thing goes with the current, but only a living thing can go against it. Mm. And I've always loved that quote. And so I stop and I ask, are we truly alive? You know? Yeah. Are we truly alive to stand against the stream uh, at certain times while we watch all the other dead fish float by? <laughs> <laughs> um, another philosopher, Ralph Waldo Emerson, said, Society everywhere is in conspiracy against the manhood of every one of its members. Society is a joint stock company in which the members agree for the better securing of his bread 
to each shareholder to surrender the liberty and culture <coughs> of the eater. The virtue in most requests is conformity. Self-reliance is its aversion. Society loves not realities and creators, but names and customs. Hmm. And uh, that I, I, I'm trying to build up something here for okay. the sake of this letter. But I think you can see where I'm getting at the, the challenges of do you want to be like everyone else and do what everyone else wants you to do or are you going to totally be yourself and can you find a balance in that yeah. because I don't adhere to one or the <clears throat> other I think the, the thinking of like total individualism has its downfalls yes. too so it's not like just it's not always just Nike you know just yeah. do it and don't care about what anyone else thinks like you said be you yeah. do what you do <laughs> old Dr. Pepper theme song <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I, I didn't know if you want to add to that before I get on my high horse, well, but what you said from Chesterton: um, only living things swim against the current, and dead things float downstream. It kind of reminded me. I mean, this is probably a side tangent, but who cares? It reminded me of um, we're going, <laughs> going uh, the chosen, the theme, the the TV show, the chosen. Um, which is really pretty good if you guys haven't heard of it before. But anyway, at the theme song of that show, they have like the fish swimming yeah. down one way and then there's like this one fish going the opposite direction of the current. I wonder if they read Chesterton or not. That's just, such a perfect example like, though. It just made me think of that. Like their, their yeah. songs, it's perfect for what you're talking about. And I think individuality in the context of screw tape letters and C.S. Lewis probably needs to be framed in individuality in Christ. Like, mm. be who you are in Christ. Put, put that on it. Don't just be who you are. I think that's where some of the destructiveness of total individuality comes in. It's like, I'm just going to be me and do what I want. I don't care. Like you were talking about, it's not necessarily all the way one way or the other, but mm -hmm. I think if we're just be who you are in Christ, it's probably a lot safer. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I really like how you put that. Because I'm thinking, um, there's no such thing as a person, an individual, apart from the whole yeah. of the context that they're in. Yeah. Like, I can never truly just be totally me as an individual because I live here in this city. I'm surrounded by groups of people. I'm in a culture, I speak a uh -huh. language, I adhere to a certain standard of time. Like there are a lot of things that I share as a whole with a whole lot of other people. Yeah. And that makes me me too. Yes. So to be totally an individual apart from all that is that really intense do whatever the heck you want. I don't care about anyone right. else. That is total like separation and isolation. Yeah. And that's the danger of that. But then a full swing, especially as a Christian, into what everyone else wants, or into certain cultural, which I think is real easy to do. Yeah, like as a Christian, anyway. I think it's really easy to end up on the side of basically people pleasers. I think is how my wife would put it. Mm -hmm. Yep, <laughs> uh, we talk about that a lot. But like, I think, I think that's how I was raised to please people. Mm. You know, no, and I'm not trying to say anything bad about my parents, but. I do think that that is a common thing 
maybe it's not just unique to Christianity, but it, it definitely seems to be very prevalent. Totally. Yeah. Totally. <clears throat> and uh, that just, that's like Tim Keller's big, I think that's what made him so important for our day. And uh, just, he was very culturally sensitive, uh-huh. but he was also aware that he portrayed the, the gospel message in a way where he says, like, even in his book, uh, I got it over there on the shelf, Center Church. Okay. talks about the way you have to work with the culture you're in is you are at once a part of it, but at times you know because of um, your, your morals, I mean, that God has given us, and because of the gospel message itself, there are times where there are going to be cultural clashes. Yeah. And it's in those moments where you face those tensions or temptations to to just coalesce with culture, you know, <clears throat> instead of um, being the weird, odd person out where you know it's yeah. going to be uncomfortable. But that, like, I can just say that so easily, but we all get into situations almost daily where we're not fully the person in Christ that we imagined yeah. ourselves being. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think you see where in a lot of churches there's this struggle not to just become mirrors of the culture mm-hmm. around us mm-hmm. rather than stand out like like Keller it sounds like was pointing out but where you sorry my phone was buzzing <laughs> on the chair <laughs> um, where you um, <clears throat> you see churches getting so excited about social justice um, issues, which, because I mean, because uh, in a lot of points they're right, but why are they concerned with social justice? Why are they interested in that? And you know, what's the motivation behind that? When Jesus does things that are socially just, where we might look at it and go, "See, that's social justice," I think it's more of like, well, it's really more gospel justice. Like mm-hmm. it's it's a, I'm I'm being socially just. Yes, because I care about the people, but even more so because I'm on mission for the gospel. And that's my motivator, rather than I just want to do the good things, you know. So we need to dig deeper and ask about our motives in the good things that we do. Which is hard to do sometimes. It can be exhausting. (laughs) Yeah, it can. Yeah, I don't don't want to analyze every single thing. Yeah, no. That's good. Well, if you can't tell, I mean, I really resonated with this chapter, and... I suspect that many others will too, because I had such low self-esteem for such a long time. And with the help of God, only in the last few years did I put real work into getting out of it. And uh, Mm -hmm. I mean, I say I put in work, but I I like to think, you know, so holily like Paul, that um, not me, but Christ in me, you know? But so a lot of that work was, uh, you know, prayer and meditation mm-hmm. on the on the scriptures, but also looking at um, different psychologists and what people had to say about self-esteem. I just tried to take in all the information I could to to try to help myself. Um, but some of the hallmarks of low <coughs> self-esteem are codependence, fear of rejection, and hypersensitivity. There's a lot more, but I think those three are really big. And those three elements all express themselves as the inability to self-differentiate because of pressures placed on ourselves or from others to conform. 
That's why I mentioned those two other quotes from those philosophers earlier. Yeah. Because um, self-esteem has to play a heavy hand, or low self-esteem, I should say, plays a heavy hand in, in this too. Um, now, you know, just to clarify once again, not all conformity is bad. <coughs> You know, if you're trying to figure out where to eat, it's not really a big deal to make a little bit of a sacrifice and choose a restaurant that's not your all-time favorite if the rest of the group wants to go there. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> that sure. type of conformity is like, well, you're just being a good friend <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, and, not right. just, like, <laughs> and not just dominating the group. Yeah, I'm not going to go into the library <laughs> shouting my hip-hop music <laughs> at the public library. You know, that's just not good. Right. But, so. yeah... <laughs> But there are many situations where we're tempted, and according to Screw Tape, sometimes we don't even realize we're being tempted to sacrifice the very boundaries that etch out our character. And the more or less defined you become, the more you look like a silhouette. And it's a lot harder to tell where a silhouette begins and ends. It lacks character or a mm. definition. And this is the situation in which the patient finds himself in this chapter and you know at least i think the idea that has been painted to us about maybe the age and the character of the patient this this boy or young adult i would suspect that he is probably dealing with the same kind of issues that every other christian has faced around that age and that has to do with self-esteem your identity and development i mean still growing and screw tape had even had even said like he doesn't even know true humility yet and in the acts that seem really pleasing to god that he does he might have this temptation to see himself as really humble but he really doesn't know the half of it yet because humility requires time and patience so i suspect as we dig into this letter more that you know, he has a little hangout with his friends, and that's where all the temptation yeah. begins. Yeah. Or, I don't even know if temptation is the right word. He uses but... the word temptation in here. Okay. Um, At least the demons are doing a work. I don't know if the patient is fully aware in, yeah. in the moment of hanging out with his friends right. that that's what is happening. Yeah. He talks about how he's not um, fully... Yeah, fully realize uh, that he's that this stuff is going on, and he does talk about it as a form of temptation. Try to keep him mm. from realizing that it is a temptation for as long as possible. Yeah, so. yeah. <clears throat> Screw tape is pleased that the patient has met up with some friends or coworkers who, on the surface, they appear to be rich, casual folks. Yes. But underneath, they are superficial, inappropriate, and cynical. Yes. And the beauty of the situation, in Screwtape's mind at least, is that this is fertile ground for temptation. Mm-hmm. Right? Or for the demons to do their job. Yep. <laughs> and the trick here is to never allow the patient to realize he's being tempted. Yeah. What do you think about that? Uh, um, well, first, I think it's interesting that. I think this might, I don't know, I, this might be the first letter or one of the few letters so far that we've read from Screwtape to Wormwood where he starts off with a stamp of approval. <laughs> so yeah. He usually just rips Wormwood, you know. Uh-huh. Uh, this time he's like, good job, this is great uh-huh. news. 
Um, he's not even mad that he heard it from Trip Tweez instead of Wormwood. He's just <laughs> thrilled. Um, I also think it's interesting because I feel like this gives us a really good but brief like summarized illustration of the kinds of relationships that as Christians, especially young or immature Christians, new to the faith Christians, we may want to be aware of and possibly avoid. Mm -hmm. uh, because it, these kinds of relationships may be the very thing that the devil wants us to be involved in mm -hmm. that could pull us away or confuse our authenticity mm -hmm. or, or confound our insecurities or whatever. I mean, it could, these kinds of things, I mean, just reading this chapter, it's kind of an illustration of oh, maybe we want to avoid that kind of thing mm -hmm. to some extent or at yeah. least be aware of it. Yeah, yeah. Screwtape says the patient's friend will have, quote, all sorts of cynical and skeptical attitudes which are not really the patient's. But if you play him well, they may become his. Mm -hmm. All mortals tend to turn into the thing they are pretending to be. Mm. And I take that to mean, you know, pretty soon if the patient does not become more aware of his present situation, he'll simply mold into the bad habits of his companions. Yeah. And... I mean, there's something much more subtle happening here. And I'm telling you, there is a, a counseling model. I talk about it all the time because I'm really, I'm really infatuated by some of its principles. Some uh -huh. of it. Most people hate it, but there are some <laughs> really good things in it. And it's called Gestalt Therapy. And my friends just roll their eyes when I say that now. Cause, <laughs> but... I think that C.S. Lewis was a big proponent of that, even if he wasn't aware of it as a thing, because he is um, he is still sharing a lot of the same ideas as that, that counseling model. And so he says uh, something along the lines of, the real thing you want to do here is get the patient's friends to commit themselves deeply but he says this he says i don't mean with their words mm -hmm. he says there is a subtle play of looks and tones and laughs by which a mortal can imply that he is of the same party as those to whom he is speaking yeah and so a big principle of gestalt therapy just like uh, how big cs we know cs lewis is into being present a lot yes. of being present has to do with being aware of body language and nonverbal communication. Like, a way that another person, one person can know that another person is not only interacting with them, but, but on the same team as them, are all of these little nonverbal communications. Certain looks, like as I talk to you right now, you're, you're nodding, yeah. and we do little flutters with our eyes to know that we're doing this nice back and forth, like... If we were trying to do a podcast together and like you just like deadpan me the whole time, I would really like, I would feel a lack of connection. Like there's much more sure. to communication than, than words. Yeah. And that affects the present moment. And I, I don't know, I just think all that is fascinating. It, that is part of Screwtape's temptation as well. Try to get these folks to communicate not just with their words, but with their bodies to get other people to buy into their nasty behavior too. Yeah. You know, you know try, try and get the patient to commit deeply, but almost not even know he's doing that. Totally. Well, you yeah. know, he like he talks about um, 
them making like inappropriate or sexual jokes. Yeah. And so like normally you would think uh, as a Christian you're put in an awkward situation. But what if they like tell the the sexual joke at the dinner table or you know you're playing games together or whatever and then everyone like five other people in the room are laughing and then like they're making eye contact with you you know like yeah. the corners of their mouths are turned <clears throat> upward to show their happiness at the joke and like when they look at you everything about the energy in the room and their yeah. ver- nonverbal communication too is telling you like are you going to participate yeah and like that's the moment of the tension and temptation and that's yeah. hard to i think it's hard to navigate that mm-hmm. there's because there's so much pressure and you're in a situation where you don't have time to think about it. It's very quick. Yeah. And so it's very easy and often common to to cave to that pressure. But just think of like everything that's happening, even in like that split, like one second, you have yeah. to react to that. Where you have that feeling, at least, in your gut of, um, I shouldn't laugh. Yeah. <laughs> And you know that it betrays you. Yeah. And it betrays mm. your authenticity. And then, you know, you kind of like... Your own body, if you if like you were able to, you know, be a fly on the wall and watch, you could see your own self-betrayal. Because you laugh, but you don't laugh wholeheartedly, and you put your head down and you turn your eyes downward. You know, yeah. it's like, I'm laughing, and I don't really think this is funny. And it's... It's kind of sad when you think about it, you know, um, because the, the pressure, at least in my mind at that point, is um, I know that if I just don't laugh and sit there deadpan because I think it's inappropriate, uh, I just lost five friends. Yeah. You know what I mean? It feels that way. And then people will say, oh, well, then if they get so offended, they're not your friends in the first place. And it's like, well, that's so much easier said than done uh-huh. because it hurts and it nobody does. wants to lose friends. You know, you don't I mean? want to, and you don't want to feel, you don't want to feel like the odd man out in that situation. Right. I mean, you just—that's reality. You don't. We don't like to feel excluded, no matter how much we think we're independent and confident and don't care what other people think. The reality is, in most situations like this, we care a lot. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> and uh, we hate to feel like we are on the outside and everyone else is on the inside. Yeah. <clears throat> I just wish we had more information in the Bible about what Jesus did in those situations. Yeah. He had to have eaten with tons of people who may have been disagreeable on the outside. Yeah. And when they cracked a nasty joke or did something that, you know, would rub... God, <laughs> the yeah. wrong way. Like, how how did he do it? I don't know. Yeah. And I know that he did it all the time because he walked this earth. But like, if the scriptures could have been more clear, like you know, he hung out with, um, I don't know, Demetrius one night, and Demetrius said a sexual joke. Yeah. What did Jesus do right, right. there? <laughs> did he address it or did he just not respond? Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Because I think, like you're saying, the non-response. Sometimes the non-response says just as much as if you call it out but it's mm-hmm. not in you know we don't want to be a kind of people that just constantly are going around and announcing our displeasure with or disagreement with what our friends are doing mm-hmm. 
because then we lose friendships unnecessarily. Mm -hmm. So sometimes then, like, I'm just not sane or laughing. I'm not going to smile. Right. Communicates enough. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think you're right. And if they ask, then you can go into it. Mm Mm-hmm. You've been listening to Only an Inkling. If you like this podcast, you already know what to do. 